to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There are times when God will call us to put everything on the altar. It might indeed be the thing that you love the most. Yet that is the very thing that God sometimes will say to us, I want you to to lay this down before me. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 22 in a message titled, Abraham Tried and True. Now, here's Pastor Brian. In our last study, many of you would remember, we looked at the prophetic aspect of Abraham offering up Isaac. There we saw how Abraham was a type of the father. He's a picture of God the Father here in this story. And Isaac, as we saw, is a type of the son. We noted that Isaac was referred to as Abraham's only son. Uh, We also noted that here we have the first occurrence of the word love in the Bible. And remember, it is in the context of the love between a father and a son. Uh, We saw how Mount Moriah is the place where Solomon would later build the temple and also the place where one day Christ would be crucified. Uh, Finally, we saw that Abraham prophetically named the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So what we want to do now is we want to take a look at uh, this event in Abraham's life from the standpoint of this being his greatest test of faith, Abraham's greatest test of faith. So let's pick up once again then in verse 1 of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. It seems from the chapter division here or from the previous chapter that there was quite a long season between the events of the 21st chapter and these events now opening the 22nd chapter. As we pointed out previously, Isaac was probably in his 20s at this point. Most commentators, most um, even the Jewish writers put him at somewhere between 25 and possibly even 35. So he's a full-grown man. So obviously many years have transpired. And it seems, although you know it's passed by in silence, it seems that it was a long season of blessing. A long season of blessing. Of course, Abraham had had all of those years of development, all of those years of, of waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. Those 25 long years from the time that he 
originally left his own land and finally received the fulfillment of the promise through the birth of Isaac. And you remember all of the different experiences that he had. And then having received the promise, it seems that it was then just a long season of blessing, just enjoying the goodness of God there with the the promised seed, Isaac, uh, watching Isaac grow. And it might have seemed that Abraham had reached the pinnacle of his faith. It might have seemed that he was never to be challenged or tested again. But yet, as we read here, we come now to the greatest test of Abraham's life after this long season of blessing. So, you know, God is always going to be at work in our lives. As long as we're here in the world, we will never arrive at a plateau where we have attained spiritual perfection. We'll never come to that place where there aren't new challenges, no matter how long we live. God is always going to be working. As long as we're alive, he's going to be working and stirring up our faith and uh, perfecting our faith. And so Abraham now comes at this later stage of life to the greatest test of his life, one that would push him to the limits, both emotionally and mentally. Now, it would push him to the limits emotionally because all of a father's love is wrapped up in Isaac. And of course, as we go on, the Lord speaks to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then the Lord said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So the emotional trial that Abraham passed through for this brief period, a three-day period, but can you imagine those three days? Now, we're not told at all what was going on in the mind of Abraham. I think we can take the liberty to just sort of guess and I think we could sort of put ourselves in the position and just think of what it would be like for us. That's probably how he felt. He was thoroughly human, just like we are. And so this test would would push him to uh, the emotional limit. It would also push him to the limit mentally because all the promises of God were wrapped up in Isaac. So this would have been one of those things where mentally... Abraham would have struggled, no doubt, to understand how it could be that God could still fulfill his yet unfulfilled promises through Isaac if Isaac were to be sacrificed. So 
It's this, this deep emotional and, and mental anguish that Abraham enters into at this stage. Basically, what God is now requiring of Abraham is that he put his most cherished possession upon the altar, that he surrender his most cherished possession over to God. Now, we we already pointed out in the previous message that there was never any intention on God's part for Abraham to, to actually offer Isaac. We pointed out how God had declared that the thought of human sacrifice was appalling to him. It was abominable to him. It never entered his mind. But I also mentioned to you, Abraham didn't know that at the time. So as far as Abraham knew, this was something that he was to actually follow through with, putting it all on the altar. There are times when God will call us to put everything on the altar. It might indeed be the thing that you love the most. That good thing, that thing that God himself has given you, that thing that you prayed and perhaps waited so long for, that thing through which you're hoping to see the work of God accomplished, that thing that embodies all the promises of God, yet that is the very thing that God sometimes will say to us, I want you to to lay this down before me. And so like with Abraham, for us, it we're suddenly faced with a, a tremendous struggle. We're faced with a tremendous struggle emotionally. Oh, but Lord, I, I love this. I, maybe it's a person. Lord, I love this person. I just, I don't understand why, why you would be, you know, asking this of me. And then there, there's that mental perplexity that comes because perhaps it's something that we've been convinced that, you know, this is the very thing that God has given to me. This is the thing that God is working through in my life. This is the thing through which the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. But now the Lord is, he's calling me to surrender it up to him. So we, like Abraham, we can go through similar kinds of things. Now, what happened with Abraham that led to this kind of a test? Again, we don't know for sure. Was it that perhaps Isaac had become so precious to Abraham? Could it have been that Abraham might have slightly forgotten the promise of God or, or that Isaac was, you know, really God's servant, you know, could it have been something like that? We don't know. But I think of something that, that might be sort of a parallel. I think of Mary. Of course, I'm talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we know the story of the nativity. We know the story of the visitation of the angel Gabriel to Mary and you know, the, the virgin birth and, and all of those things. Of course, we know all of that. And, and Mary knew all of that. But do you remember the incident when Jesus was about 12 years old, when the family had gone up to Jerusalem 
And then after spending time there during the Passover, as they were making their way back uh, to Nazareth, they noticed suddenly that Jesus wasn't among them. And so they searched amongst all of the relatives and they didn't find him. So they ended up, of course, going back to Jerusalem. And you remember what happened. They found him there in the temple and he was discussing spiritual things with the, the doctors of the law. And maybe you remember the words that Mary said to him. She said, why have you done this to us? Didn't you know that your father and I were, were worried about you? And you remember the response of Jesus? Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Mary referred to Joseph as the father of Jesus at that point. Jesus reminded Mary, I'm about my father's business. And and so it seems that perhaps Mary, who had these great experiences and these glorious promises, and of course knew deep in her heart that Jesus was the son of God, it seems that maybe in some ways he just sort of lost sight of that. And this was a reminder of that. And, And perhaps it was the case with Abraham that he maybe in some way lost sight. We don't know, but it's interesting that this is the thing that God requires of him. Now, remember when we talked about Ishmael? And you remember Ishmael. He was the other son of Abraham. He was the son that was born of Hagar. And we pointed out how God never recognized Ishmael because he was a work of the flesh, and so we, we talk about, we use um, the term, the name Ishmael. We use it even metaphorically to some extent as Christians today when we're talking about an attempt in the flesh to help God. You know, I've heard people say, oh boy, you know, I just, I created an Ishmael over there. You know, what they're saying basically is, you know, I tried to help God out and I messed everything up. Now, I think with that, same kind of, you know, metaphorical type of a perspective, there's something with Isaac as well. And using Isaac in that metaphorical kind of a way, I think Isaac could be a picture of holding too tightly onto the things that belong to God. That might have been what Abraham was doing at this point. It seems like it could have been. And it's certainly something that we all are capable of doing and occasionally guilty of doing. We're we're holding too tightly onto the things that belong to God, our children. I think sometimes we do this as parents. You know, we talk about how much we want our kids to follow the Lord and, oh, we just want them to serve God. And that's, you know, what we would say. And that's probably what we've even prayed for. And that's what we're anticipating for their lives. And then they come home one day and say, hey, mom and dad, guess what? The Lord's calling me to the mission field. What? (laughs) What what do you mean the mission field? You, You haven't finished your college education yet. Oh, but it's okay, mom and dad. The Lord's going to take care of me. I'm going to trust. Oh, now listen, you need to be more practical than that. And, you know, all of a sudden, these great dreams we had for them going out and serving God, when it comes to the reality, we're backpedaling. 
And why are we backpedaling? Because what we're doing is we're forgetting something. We're, we're holding too tightly onto the things that belong to God. We have to remember, wait a second, this is God's child. Now, when my children told me that the Lord was calling them to move about 450 miles north of us, you know, I thought, ah, let's pray a little bit more about that. <laughs> now, let, you know, let's talk about that. May, are, are you sure, you know? And I found myself, in my mind anyway, just doing this, this kind of a thing. And, and my tendency was to try to hold on. And there was that strong temptation to sit down with them and say, look, no, you know, you don't need to do that. Look, there's plenty of opportunities to serve the Lord right here. You know, let's, we'll send somebody else. You know, they can go do that. But, you know, the Lord spoke to me so clearly and said, do not do that to them. I mean, it was really a strong word from the Lord. Do not do that. I am going to use this in their lives. The Lord spoke that to me. But, the, but there was that, you know, sort of that, that tendency to, to try to hold on and, and not let them enter into all that God had for them. You see, we can do that at times. We can do that sometimes with our ministries. We get very possessive of ministry. Well, this is my ministry. And we forget that, you know, it's really the Lord's ministry. And, you know, sometimes the Lord is saying, I want you to let go. I want you to, I want to do something fresh. I want to do something new. Oh, but, you know, we're, we're holding on. I used to say, Many years ago, when people would ask me something about the church, I would respond, well, you know, it's the Lord's church. And I, I was being sincere. But, you know, there came a point when the Lord sort of challenged me with that. When the Lord was calling me to leave that great fellowship and to move on and to turn it over to somebody else, and I was tempted to just sort of hold on, the Lord reminded me, now, didn't I hear you say a number of times that it's my church? I was busted. Yes, Lord, I, I, did, I have said that. So, you know, we can do that. We can do that with a lot of things. We can do that with our careers, maybe. But Lord, I've, I've worked so hard to get in the position I'm in. And, and you know, Lord, this is this is what I want to do for you. But God might be saying, well, you know, I've, I've actually got something else for you. Maybe it's our possessions. Maybe the Lord is wanting to do some rearranging. Maybe he's saying, you know, we need to, we need to get rid of this. You don't need that. Oh, but Lord, these are, these are ours, Lord. You know, I, I'm using them for you. Lord, this boat is fantastic. I mean, it's just, you know, there's so much great fellowship that happens on this boat, Lord. And the Lord's saying, no, I don't really want a boat right now. <laughs> and we can, do, we can do all kinds of things. I could go on with examples all night, probably. But, you know, even our dreams. Oh, but Lord, I want to do this for you. And, oh, Lord, I'm, you know, and the point is this. We have to remember that at the end of the day, God is wanting me to lay everything on the altar before him. And that's what God is calling Abraham to do right here. What God is calling Abraham to do seems to be contrary to everything that Abraham has 
hoped and dreamed and planned for, it seems to just fly completely in the face of what he believed God was going to do. But that is what God is calling him to do. Putting it all on the altar. This was the most difficult thing Abraham ever had to do, but it was what God was calling him to do. And sometimes God will call us to just lay it all down before him. That most precious thing to us, he's going to say, I want you to just put it on the altar and trust me with it. That's what's happening here with Abraham. Now, the thing that is very impressive at this stage in Abraham's life is his obedience. Look at at the very next verse, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Amazing. Notice the swiftness with which he obeyed. Notice the unquestioning obedience at this time in Abraham's life. You see, what we're, what we're seeing here now is we're seeing a man whose faith has matured. We've, we've been following Abraham and we've been pointing out, you know, his ups and downs. Although he's, he's always referred to in the positive sense of a man of faith, as we look closely at his life, you remember, we've seen him go up and down. We've seen him be strong and, and consistent and we've, we've also seen him be weak and inconsistent at times. But now the greatest test in his life comes and there's no hesitation. There's no argumentation. There is just a swift, unquestioning obedience. This is the mark of a, of a mature man in the faith. And that's what's happened in Abraham's life over all of these years. And during that long season of blessing, Abraham, no doubt, many times over, would just think back through that whole thing, just rehearse it all over again as he would look at Isaac and just say, man, Lord, you are so good. Remembering all of those years and all of that waiting, but now here he is. So his faith is strong. Faith, as we've pointed out, I want to remind you again, faith is developed over time. We are not great men and women of faith overnight. It's a process. Our faith is developed over a period of time. God is doing something in our lives that's, to some extent, it's taking a lifetime. Faith is developed over time and faith begets greater faith. So how do I grow in faith? Well, I grow in faith by exercising faith in the things that God brings my way. And the Lord, of course, is wise and he's gracious and he's faithful. November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
a non-anxious presence, how a changing and complex world will create a remnant of renewed Christian leaders by Mark Sayers. Have you sensed anxiety in our culture? Have you been affected by the viral flow of anxiety sweeping through social media networks and institutions? Have you wrestled with the loss of personal comfort and stability? If you answered yes to these questions, then you have the opportunity for spiritual growth in response to God's invitation to grow with Him. In his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers argues that because of the interconnectedness of the global culture, our world has shifted from being one that was complicated to one that is complex. A complicated world requires efficiency, but a complex world requires adaptability. And this is exactly what this book was designed to do, to help you learn how to adapt in our changing world for the benefit of spiritual growth. This book, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.